Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wen Lu. Uh, joining me for the program today is Louis Atzman uh, of Raptors Republic and uh, other places as well. Uh, 538, you can find him writing about the Bucks as well. Uh, Louis, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Doing well. Really happy to be here. Thank you so much for uh, letting me pal it up about them Raptors. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, Lewis, the, the the actual reason we got you on the podcast <laughs> is, uh, or on the podcast again, is the fact that you wrote a really nice piece, really detailed, probably used uh, a lot of Synergy Sports to to peruse <laughs> a lot of video possessions. You know, some might even argue like maybe 3,000 clips. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, somewhere there about, you know. Um, I don't know if you have obtained the Synergy account on your own, if someone maybe shared it with you from a different organization. But, but the whole point is we were actually going to talk about uh, just the the pick and roll piece that you wrote, which was really good, really detailed, over Raptors Republic. If you haven't subscribed to Raptors Republic already, I don't know what you're doing. Of course, you got to get all the content that's up on there. Legitimately, like when you look across all the sites that cover the Raptors, uh, no one except for perhaps this uh, this uh, <laughs> this coordinator <laughs> from the Knicks that we hired, has probably seen as much video <laughs> as just a collective Raptors Republic team. Um, so we will talk about that. However, as I'm sort of like jokingly uh, alluding to here, there is some pretty big news with the Raptors, or at least pretty salacious news with the Raptors. Um, so, yeah, I guess just to set it up, because this is a really long intro, and I promise I'll let Lewis speak soon. But if you haven't seen it already, so the the... the well, I guess MLSC and the Raptors are getting sued by MSG uh, and the Knicks in particular over uh, several counts. Again, you can read all the details. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but, you know, the Raptors are getting sued because the Raptors are apparently bringing in uh, this video coordinator who worked with the Knicks. And uh, he has apparently been hired to join Darko's staff with the Raptors uh, this summer. And during sort of this probationary period between um, him officially leaving the Knicks and him officially joining the Raptors. During that time, when he had already received an offer, uh, he has transferred over some files to the Raptors that the Knicks consider to be sensitive uh, proprietary information, and there is a lawsuit that is seeking damages. It is a civil lawsuit. It is not a criminal uh, lawsuit as of this time. The NBA has yet to uh, make statements on this. I believe the Raptors officially kind of just denied everything right now. That's their official stance, but uh, yeah, Lewis, this is a long intro. But how you doing, man? <laughs> no how are you sitting with all of this? My synergy login. Do you have synergy login, by the way? I don't, but but please do not share your synergy login with me, Lewis. I do not want to get sued by Zarar and Sam. And, uh, and, and, and no, it is not Raptors Republic. My synergy oh. login, which I use for other organizations, is not. Uh, owned by me. Uh, oh. I Lewis, it's owned by are an you organization sure you want to do this that's right now, now defunct. No, it's true, man. So my point is, okay. this is not a uncommon thing. I don't yeah, use okay. playlists made by other people, right? I don't use edits. I don't uh-huh. have three thousand clips uh, made by some other Synergy user. But look, mm-hmm. Synergy is not a powerful tool. As far as proprietary stats databases, I also have access to Second Spectrum, which is which is much more specific and powerful, uh, mm-hmm. and also is not owned by me. But whatever. And um, yeah. and if you're making playlists on Synergy, either you're using Synergy filters, which means you are working at a level far below an NBA team, or you're just saving your work to synergy for some reason i just can't make it make sense in my head because there's nothing on synergy that you could possibly do there are no tools that function at a powerful enough level to gather information that nba teams don't do every day anyway like the raptors have scouts presumably yes they do have i know them they have scouts yes yep and their work is far better than Synergy could possibly do with the tools available. Synergy is great, right? It's a, it's a paid service. It's not publicly mm-hmm. accessible. It's proprietary. But NBA teams are at such an enormously talented level of scouting and understanding. I don't – like Synergy can tell you, for example, how frequently someone goes left or right in a pick and roll, which is useful. That is 
that's very low. That's the most advanced thing Synergy can do, basically. That's very low level compared to what yeah. NBA teams do all the time. So I just don't get it. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Um, it's quite, I feel like it's quite salacious when you, when you read it all <laughs> in totality. Um, and, and by the way, for people who are really interested in the story, um, so first off, like, yeah, I have nothing uh, of, of any sort of inside information on this specific account. I did message some people, and uh, they were like, yeah, this is happening. Um, and I did not get any further <laughs> comments. Because, again, why would you comment further on an ongoing investigation? Um, so, yeah, like there's, this, it's nothing that I actually have anything to share on this program in particular. But to people who are curious about this, you can literally just go and access this, like, 23-page uh, document where, you know, the Knicks outline sort of the whole case of what they're – alleging and i assume that this is the evidence that they have or sort of like what's going on there and you can probably sit down over 15 minutes and just read it through i mean it's a little bit boring because it's legal language but it's not sort of indigestible by any means it's uh pretty accessible and yeah i mean you know to me it seems like there are largely three actions that have that have happened as a result of sort of leading to this number one um you saw uh, a whole bunch of video clips being shared, uh, and I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, having read the actual language on it, it seems like about three thousand video files that were shared, which I believe in this case is probably just like what ten second clips of plays on Synergy. You think, right? Yeah, like, that's it, my guess. What, what other files does Synergy have other than video? Um, so it's like roughly three thousand files on Synergy. Um, apparently, the Raptors have viewed them over two thousand times which to me sounds like they have viewed maybe 2,000 of those 3,000 clips. Let's say they're 10-second clips. That's like 20,000 seconds of time. So roughly like if you watch six hours of film. Um, mm-hmm. and Wait, can I just – can I ask you a question right there though? Yeah, sure. What's up? If this is his job application, how much film are you watching of the work he's done? Let's just say – let's pretend – Perhaps this is yeah, a possibility. Yeah. He downloads mm-hmm. the work he's done and sends it in yep. as, as his application. How many hours would you watch about that? Right. Yeah, I mean it's totally fair, especially when it comes to uh, a video coordinator. Now, of course, I, I would have to say, like, just off the top, like, obviously, you and I are coming from a Raptors perspective. We are both fans of the Raptors, in addition to us covering the team, and so you know, this is probably going to come from a place where we're defending something that we like. I'm just going to acknowledge a bias. But at the same time, I'm reading through these accounts. So, like, for example, those 3,000 clips that they were sharing, apparently, uh, they're apparently of Raptors players, like video actions relating to Raptors players. So apparently they were sorted into five different files by position. So first off, what are we still doing? Like, actual NBA work is done in point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center? Because it says five zip files by position. So I have to assume that those are the The Raptors are famously. Yes. The Raptors are the most position-specific team in the NBA. Don't you know? Absolutely. I imagine that that power forward file was uh, four times as large in in size as, uh, (laughs) you know, all the other files. 2,900 video clips. Yeah, it, it seemed like, so largely speaking, he was sharing files about sort of essentially doing work, uh, you know, already for the Raptors while in contract with the Knicks, which is, which is absolutely a no-no, absolutely a no-no. Um, and, you know, even just using Knicks software to do work for the Raptors while you're employed by the Knicks, doesn't really matter what kind of company you're in, that's already a no-no. Is it so, is it so like, heinous or, uh, you know, is it like theft? I mean, I don't know. Like, I would say that, you know, to me, that sounds like, okay, this guy is getting a head start in this next job rather than stealing the con- information from his previous job. But again, you know, the, the lawsuit obviously has strong language and it was sort of presented in that way. But that one, to me, I was like reading the details. I was like, okay, it's not like he's taking video files of like Knicks players or anything like that and taking their tendencies over. It seemed like he was actually l- using those video files in relation to Raptors players. Now, again, he shouldn't have done that as a member of the Knicks even under contract, even as he's transitioning between the two jobs. But regardless, you know, that that to me seems like a no-no. And then the other thing, too, is just like apparently he forwarded some uh, documents in regards to uh, game plans that the Knicks essentially had for the 
playing, I think, the Mavericks and the Nuggets or something the like Nuggets, that. Yeah. Or maybe Indiana. I want anyway, whatever. Two teams that the Knicks essentially had game plans for. Now I don't know if it was like this past season or how relevant these games plans were. Obviously, these things are kind of fungible. They're very specific to the game, the moment, even what the team looks like at that specific time. But I do think to me that like that's where it's like, all right. If he did that as well, that could potentially tip off some industry trade secrets, in particular to the Knicks, in the sense that like this is how the Knicks specifically scout and organize their information. And as much as you could say that other teams all sort of have their own systems or different, uh, you know, versions of their own game plans, that to me does sound like all right. If someone, if someone did this to the Raptors, I'd be fairly annoyed at that too, because even though that that is something that everyone does and probably has like a 90%, maybe even more overlap in terms of what organizations do compared to each other, that's still a no-no for me. But anyone can watch a game. Anyone in the NBA can watch a game and tell you in real time without even reviewing what the system was that they were running. Like, I can do that on a second watch. It's just, there's there's no competitive advantage that I can see if he was stealing an analytic model, you know, Jacob Goldstein, for example, did player impact plus minus. It was a publicly accessible stat, got hired to the Washington Wizards. Now it's proprietary. Something like that. PIPM now owned by the Wizards. If you were to steal that and give it to another team, that's a trade secret. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. tendencies of players, everybody knows that. There's no advantage to be gleaned. Like none whatsoever. He's sloppy. If this the, is if the dude sloppy. is sloppy, yeah, yeah it absolutely. is messy. But I just don't see how the Raptors were actually advantaging themselves. But that being said, how could this possibly be going to court? The Knicks called the Raptors up and said this was going to happen. I think two days mm-hmm. before they filed the suit. I'm sure the league is aware of this. In what world? David Stern would have people in their graves before there was a lawsuit like this. Like, how is this possibly going to court? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thing that's interesting um, to me in terms of just like, okay, what does this or what's actually going to come out of this? I mean, I think that that's where people are starting to – because this is, again, such a – this isn't like a trade or this isn't like – this coach did this or the, you know, like this, it's not sort of, I guess, typically in our scope of like what we know in terms of what we're familiar with. So we have no idea. Someone says like, Oh, you know, maybe the Raptors have to fire Darko over this, or maybe the Raptors have to lose draft picks over this. I, I'm not sure. Maybe the Raptors just pay a small amount of fine. They settle. And then that's it, you know, and, yeah. and maybe there's no actions done. I mean, I think probably in all likelihood, the the person that they're trying to, they, they've hired in this case away from the Knicks I, I doubt that that person can use to work for the Raptors. I feel like the Knicks. Yeah, he might be neither a Raptor nor a Nick at this point. Yeah, he might not no longer work in the NBA. Just again, his <laughs> name is out there in full. I'm not even sure why I'm protecting his name, but regardless, this, it doesn't even matter, necessarily matter to me. Uh, it's a guy I never heard of. It's it's a guy who has joined the Raptors this summer. I wasn't even made aware of the fact that he jumped to the Raptors this summer, and obviously his name is now out there. Beyond that, I think it's really dependent on a couple of things. Number one, like. Did Darko, is there a paper trail that links Darko or any member of the Raptors coaching staff or beyond in terms of like front office, which I I doubt the front office was sort of like direct on this front. But is there any specific evidence linking both a directive, clear directive from Darko or another Raptors employee to tell this this person coming from the Knicks to purposefully steal or like, you know, take this information away from the Knicks? Uh, and you know, if so, then of course, then you would actually have to trace up and you probably have to let go of even more people or at least like really strongly admonish these people. But, uh, in reading this thing, I'm not totally sure where that comes from. Um, it sounds like the Knicks, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like the Knicks want some money, which, uh, and, and maybe even to smear the Raptors brand, which I wouldn't put out of the, the possibility here, considering the fact that the Knicks, um, and Masai haven't had the friendliest relationship in the last, like. 10 plus years. Uh, but how that goes beyond that, I'm not totally sure. Or at least I don't see it necessarily based on the lawsuit. Yeah, there's a number of John Doe's named in the suit. So um, there's a lot of John include, Doe's. Yeah, that could include upper management. But like, I could tell you right now 
the frequency with which Julius Randle drives left on isolations versus right. Like, it, what do the Knicks want out of this? Do they want them to not have that information? They'll look it up on their own second spectrum account. Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. I, I don't, none of this makes any sense. It's so sloppy. And ev- everyone who is like, I've seen a lot of, I've been reading about this because it's, you know, fascinating gossip like the NBA loves to do. And I've seen a lot of takes about it from people who don't actually understand how the NBA moves being mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is clearly the, you know, the Raptors are, are stealing trade seat. There's no trade. There's nothing here. This like, this is, everyone does this. Everyone knows this. Like, I mean, we're going to be talking about my pick and roll piece. I talk about frequencies in that piece. Like, yeah. I am not an NBA level analyst by any means. I I should not work. I mean, I do work for an NBA team, but not on that side. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I don't create stuff at the quality of that. And, and if a video coordinator is stealing that, like, my God, it just, it's confusing and it's messy and it's fun all, all at the same time, you know? It, it is probably the most fun story I've seen come out of the offseason for the Raptors in particular. Um, because, again, reading this thing, like, you get some small details. Like, I'm looking at this thing right now, right? It says, on August 11, 2023, uh, Azotam, which does sound kind of like a fake pharmaceutical company, but Azotam sent two emails <laughs> from his Nick's email address to his new Raptors email at iazotam at torontoraptors.com. In each case, the emails contain proprietary information with highly confidential material. Uh, he subsequently provided this material to the Raptors defendants at their request. And it's like, you're telling me that he uses Nick's email to email his Raptors email with the files and then potentially, even in that thread, forwarded that to other people or was asked in, in some sort of email exchange, which I'm assuming he was using this whole time, by the rap because that's the thing like if like for example if he was using his nick's email concurrently at the time that he was already essentially being contacted to get hired by the raptors if he were using that account then like those are all communications that the company would have on you so if darko for example was emailing him like hey azeltan please send me uh you know some examples of your work and he does that again like to me it's just like yo this i, I yeah. mean like yeah I, it just doesn't sound like a grand conspiracy. It sounds so much like, like it's so basic in terms of just like even media literacy in terms of like, if you really wanted to conspire to get around this, I'm sure there was a million different ways that I could think of off the top of my head that would be less traceable than something like this. Occam's razor is that, I mean, Darko's a new head coach, right? And very little staff left over. I believe just Jim San, who's on the player development side. I, I don't know if he ever did hiring before, but. Occam's razor is that Darko was asking for a job application, didn't know the right way to do it, and they got themselves tangled up in a civil suit. Like, mm-hmm. that's the way I read this. And I don't think I'm reading this as a Raptors homer. I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, that's that's my take. Yeah, I think that's probably most likely what's happening. Um, having said that, though, again, like there may be more details that arise. I, I don't see why the Knicks wouldn't have put that into the actual, uh, you know, lawsuit itself. Again, you can look at this whole document. It's 21 pages. You can read through it. It's 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 pretty cool um, just to even see sort of essentially like how an organization works on this granular level. Um, but also you can see every single thing alleged to them. Um, and yeah, if there was something more serious or even more sinister about this, I feel like, you know, it would kind of be listed in here quite frankly it, it there is a bit of a tone of pettiness in terms of the the lawsuit which i assume it's not too uncommon for lawsuits you know um like for example they mentioned on two different accounts uh, or two different times uh in this 21 page document that sort of like darko is a new head coach with very little <laughs> nba experience and so that's why he requested this assistant video coordinator to show him essentially how uh, he would plan for games. And and so I guess the connection there is supposed to be that like, because Darko is new to the job of, of being an NBA head coach, uh, that he would need to have this information to him, which to me does sound kind of petty and almost ridiculous because I'm like, Darko has undoubtedly done all these jobs and has all these tasks or has been even as, as a, you know, one of the leading head, uh, head coach or assistant coaches for both Memphis and Phoenix before this, that he has definitely directed people in this capacity to do this for him. So it's a sort of like, 
you know, pin the connected two ideas there. That doesn't really hold water to me. It's not like Darko That's is right. new to basketball. You know, head coaches uh, don't make game plans. Assistant coaches do. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. at least in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it just, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. It, uh, my, my last thing on this that's really funny was just um, it, it says in here that, uh, yeah, in addition, on August 2nd, 2023, Azul Tam sent an email from his Knicks account to D Jones at TorontoRaptors.com, who I don't even know who that is, by the way. I looked through the t- staff directory. There is an Andrew Jones, apparently, that the Raptors hired. Maybe that's like Drew Jones, you know, D Jones, you know what I mean? But right, like, in right. any case, I don't even know who this is. Uh, with with the subject Synergy login, the email contained a link to SynergySportsTech.com, which does, I mean, this is like, this is peak blogger behavior if, I have to ever, if I've ever seen it, Lewis. <laughs> Maybe the Raptors just like don't have a Synergy login anymore. How much is, is that possible? Like, is it like it's like it's got to be like no more than a thousand dollars per year or something like that? Like, this is... well, it's not, I don't think it's for sale. I think Synergy and Second oh, Spectrum, you need okay. to be like a, a legacy purchaser. Got you. I don't got think you. you can buy them anymore. So maybe the Raptors just like you know tried to save some bucks, the, lost again, their login, this, and can't buy it again. This is some blogger behavior. They could have emailed this D, D Jones at TorontoRaptors.com could have emailed like. You, Samson, Blake. That's right. You know, like, like any of you, I feel like any of you three could have actually given them a, syner- a synergy login. This sounds like if you search my email account, you probably see a, a sent email to like <laughs> Alex Wong's email containing athletic login. Yeah, you don't want to see the people I've given Second Spectrum and Synergy stats yeah. to. If my yeah. if my emails get leaked, my God, I'm going to jail forever. Yeah. Um, if Dar- <laughs> my my lawsuits are going to be tenfold what Darko will pay. Yeah, I like I like I'm I'm really curious to see how this whole thing goes. I, again, if if a lawyer, I'm sure there's tons of lawyers or Raptor fans read this. I would love to hear your like professional opinion on terms of like what's specifically happening here, or sort of like what potentially some of the consequences are. But to me, I having having read the document, I'm like, all right, I can see this Azeltan person not getting, uh, like essentially getting let go. From the Raptors, I could see the Raptors even paying a small fine uh, to the Knicks, but I don't necessarily see a situation where, unless Darko again was, or any of the member of the Raptors coaching staff was directing this new employee to like purposefully take highly sensitive information that actually are, is relevant or isn't that is like not clips of Raptors plays using his Knicks synergy account, not you know completely defunct game plans from two years ago it seems like uh against opponents of the raptors at most play two times a year in the regular season uh to me that that does seem like the extent of it but again like who knows we'll, we'll see how this story goes by the way the official statement i should have already gave this from mlsc and the raptors reads quote mlsc and the toronto raptors received a letter from msg on thursday of last week bringing this complaint to our attention mlsc responded promptly making clear our intention to conduct an internal investigation and to fully cooperate MLSC has not been advised that a lawsuit was being filed or has been filed following its correspondence with MSG. The company strongly denies any involvement in the matter alleged MLSC and the Toronto Raptors will reserve further comment until this matter has been resolved to the satisfaction of both parties. So, yeah, I guess we'll see is, is kind of my point. But uh, I don't know. I, I, as of reading through that document, I, to me, it doesn't seem like anything in there is like I'm going to fire Darko but or I'm going to lose draft picks. But beyond that, who knows? That's all. Yeah. I mean, I I think they, I mean, they clearly, well, not clearly, but probably broke the letter of the law just by being mm-hmm. sloppy. I don't think they broke the spirit of trade secrets law, which is what you're talking. If they broke the spirit of it, then you're talking about, you know, jobs beyond just this one guy. But um, no, I think we're yeah. in agreement on this one. Again, like people are free to read through this document and get back to me. I would love to hear again, lots of discussion on this, but to me, it's like the three most sensitive pieces of information are two advanced scouting reports on teams. Uh, I think that again, like just from a year ago or maybe even two years ago now, and then using the Knicks energy account to look at a bunch of Raptors, uh, which again, all this is stuff that you shouldn't do, but does not sound like anything that is like game changing in the sense of like ruining competition of the league, but I mean, again, like it's uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Anyway, on this on this specific topic of synergy and uh, just watching a lot of clips, uh, Lewis, you you've written an excellent piece 
over at Raptors Republic. All right. Uh, who will run pick and rolls for the 2023-2024 Toronto Raptors? So, Lewis, uh, take me through, first off, how much film you watched of this uh, and whether or not you shared it with uh, Darko Ryakovic of the Toronto Raptors. I mean, if he asked, I would share it. Uh, I have All not right. had any nibblers at that at that fishing rod yet. But, gotcha. uh, no, I, wa- I mean, I watched a lot of film, so... How the much basic film? idea it was, was it? Three thousand clips? It was it was it three thousand clips? Um, probably not. But I, I mean, I had to think about it to realize that. Like, mm. three, that's not a that's ton what, of film when you think. Because here, that's let me put I'm it saying. this way. Yeah, Fred ran, and this is part of the piece: two thousand two hundred odd pick and rolls last year. And that's gone, right? He's a Houston Rocket. That's two thousand pick and rolls gone. He was in the top twenty in frequency of pick and rolls in the league and just run. And so how will you distribute those? So if you're counting clips, I definitely watched a lot of Fred for the way he liked to run them. I watched some Schroeder pick and roll clips in Los Angeles. I watched Pascal, Gary, Scotty in Toronto. I think I didn't watch everyone's pick everything. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it, it would add up for sure. Uh, yeah. And so well, it's hard to get to 2000. That's when you think like, cause that was the animating question. Who's going to take those. That's a yeah. lot of pick and rolls. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of pick and rolls. And um, okay. Let's, let's start with sort of just like, I, I mean, this is sort of like almost water on the bridge at this point, but like why was Fred running so many pick and rolls for the Raptors and how did he do in those pick and rolls for the Raptors last season? Yeah. So he did um, okay, I think, would be the takeaway. Compared to the league, he did slightly below average. Uh, mm-hmm. And compared to other highest volume pick-and-roll operators, he was near the bottom in efficiency. But that's okay, that not uh, the full story because compared to everyone else on the Raptors, he was better. Right? He was the most efficient high-volume pick-and-roll operator, the only guy on the Raptors who was more efficient was Pascal. He did it in fewer than half the number of pick and rolls, and it was by 0.004 points per chance. Um, so, you know, there's the league-wide context and the team-wide context. Um, the thing that Fred did that was better than anyone else on the Raptors is that he has a pull-up game. You know, it's kind of simplistic to say, but the fact that he can take a screen and just if guys sink below the three-point line, pull up. And that's a fine offense. Just that one thing gave a lot of juice to Toronto last year. Um, And that's a thing no one else on the team could do. Gary Trent Jr. had a down year for pull-up shooting. Uh, He was Mm -hmm. below 30%. And Fred was, you know, um, quite good as far as high-volume pull-up three-point shooters went. Now, his weakness was when he got forced inside the arc and was made into a scorer. He was still a very good pull-up two-point shooter. Around that you know, free-throw line, he was one of the best in the league, actually, just by far, by far, the most efficient year of his career there. But when he got even further in there, he was the least efficient short mid-range, like that eight-foot range. He's the least efficient player in the league out of the pick-and-roll. At the mm-hmm. rim, he was not particularly efficient. And... Uh, Against switches, which we saw in the playing game, you know, everyone talks about DR yelling, but another part of the collapse was uh, Chicago started switching Vucevic onto Fred. And so, you know, this big lumbering center was guarding Toronto's jitterbug point guard and Toronto couldn't get points out of that. They just, they, the, the well went dry. And part of that is Fred, you know, never has been good or, you know, particularly efficient at beating switches. And so I think, It'll be hard to replace in terms of who Toronto has on the roster because Fred's weaknesses are a lot of weaknesses other Raptors have and his strengths are things that no one else in Toronto has. But at the same time, um, it's not like Fred was this elite pick-and-roll operator in terms of the entire league. Um, so mm-hmm. the Raptors are very much operating from a position of weakness in terms of how to, how to replace this. Yeah, and I think that's... Again, going back to our our little joke earlier about like the files being shared, like this is again like I think 
if you take it from what you're saying to like a, a you know maybe a more general kind of statement it's sort of just like there was not a lot of guard play on the raptors and yeah. so when you compare how a guard ran a pick and roll versus how pretty much like forwards ran pick and rolls um there was a bit of a drop off uh, more of a stronger drop off i would say now of course they did bring in Dennis Schroeder um to be a sort of i guess a direct replacement He's probably not going to play as much as Fred. I mean, like, I don't think anyone's going to play as much as Fred. I mean, Fred played, like, I don't know, top five minutes in the league per game. Uh, but at the same time, Dennis Schroeder is the guard that comes in to replace it. So how did Dennis do in pick and roll? And again, this is obviously coming from the fact that he played with a severely different team in the Lakers. But in, in any regards, how, how did Dennis do in pick and roll? Uh, unfortunately worse. Um, okay. one of the lesser efficient pick and roll guards in the league. Now he had strengths that Fred didn't have. So okay. when he got into that eight foot range, he was actually very good. Um, mm. he is a, a really good floater, great handle to set it up really tight at turning the pick and roll corner and getting the guy to, you know, to clip the screen. Um, he isn't the best at the rim as far as guards go, but an improvement on Fred. And so he'll definitely bring a component that Fred didn't have or really um, no guard on the Raptors had last year, but um, not a wonderful pull-up shooter, you know, definitely lesser than Gary or even Pascal uh, as far as current Raptors go. And, uh, and also really, really struggled against the switch and the drop because he couldn't punish it with a pull-up shot. So, mm-hmm. you know, he'll ameliorate some specific weaknesses, but the overarching weakness that Toronto had, I I think Schroeder will just slot right in and be weak at that same thing. Right. Yeah, and and I, I don't know if this changes anything for you, but Lewis, have you been watching Team Germany? Because I feel like that is oh, giving man. a lot of fans lots of optimism as to what Dennis may look like as a lead playmaker, which to me is interesting just because I'm like, it's not like Dennis is coming to the league this season. We, we have 10 seasons of watching Dennis Schroeder in the NBA. Uh, both as like a primary playmaker, as a secondary playmaker, as an off-ball player, as a starter, as a bench player, both with great teammates in the case of the Lakers last year or even in OKC, for example. Uh, Also, without great teammates, let's say, for example, some of those years with Atlanta, especially after some of the main guys left, uh, that Mike Budenholzer team. But in in any case, are you you at least encouraged based on just what you've seen from him playing for Germany? Because admittedly, he looks really good in that role. For Germany, at least. Yeah, I mean, he looks he looks awesome, but it's a very different context. So okay. the three-point line is closer in. Schroeder is a good mid-range shooter, a poor three-point shooter. So that's a big change. Yeah, um, okay. On top of that, Germany is just stocked up and down with shooters. Um, yeah. You know, playing along, alongside Franz Wagner is a big deal. And actually, mm-hmm. the one area where Schroeder was fantastic in the pick and roll last year was when he had Anthony Davis screen for him at the five, no LeBron James on the floor and just shooters across the rest of the rotation. So uh, Malik Beasley, um, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, you know, a lot of those, those guardy wings that LA had uh, when they stocked the, the rotation with shooting, then Schroeder pick and rolls became fantastic last year. And Germany can replicate that same situation. The Raptors, can't um you know maybe if you want you could say okay he could run a pick and roll with purtle and then you could have you know gary trent and otto porter and grady dick but then you don't have scotty barnes on the floor you don't have pascal siakam on the floor so you could create opportunities and this is what i said in the piece you could create opportunities where schroeder could be a, a very good pick and roll operator but what's the cost and i think the raptors are sort of putting the cart before the horse there and not maximizing more important things, which is, you know, keeping their best players on the floor. Yeah. And and that's something where I was thinking about when I was reading the piece too, was um, just like, like it was essentially a team wide struggle for anybody in the Raptors yeah. to run pick and roll. Fred ran the most pick and roll. He was comparatively better than the rest of the team at running pick and roll, but even comparatively to other high volume pick and roll usage players across the league, as you mentioned, not the strongest. It's worth noting that when he got Jakob in, uh, his numbers increased a lot. And that, I think, passes the eye test, too, in terms of just, like, him and Yak, definitely lots of games where it was like, wow, him and Yak were just combining on the pick and roll, like, over and over and over and over again. There was, obviously, that Orlando Magic game 
when Yak had 30, which was very random, but he had 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the two games against Denver where the primary point of attack for the Raptors was to put uh, Jokic, who at that time, at, in, in March Jokic, he was very much like, uh, yeah, I'm going to chill and uh, win this championship. And, and I'm, not, I'm not going to try to go hard for this MVP award. I would say the overall effort for the, the, the Nuggets was lacking in that stretch. But regardless, there were two games there where it was like very prominently Fred and Jakob combined for, like I would say, a minimum 10 pick-and-roll scores. Um, but in any case, like it does seem like overall for the whole team to struggle with pick-and-rolls. I mean, that has to be indicative of the fact that they just didn't have enough shooting on the team. In addition to like the assorted yeah. skills you would actually need the ball handler to have, but also seems like this is a, uh, one of the issues that is a, is, is a global issue not just specific to each individual players in terms of their skill set. That's right. And I do wonder if, let's say, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes were league average or even better three-point shooters, I imagine the Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertle pick and roll would have been one of the best in the league if that was the case. You know, maybe Fred's numbers look a lot better in the pick and roll against other high-volume pick and roll initiators like Trey Young, for example, or Doncic or, or what have you. So absolutely, and the same for the other guys, right? Then Pascal's numbers would look better and Scotty's numbers would look better. It's just, it's it's a collective feedback loop up and down. And uh, it is the systemic failures that result in the individual failures when you focus on nuance, like uh, right. how you respond to different pick and roll coverages and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that's been pointed out in your piece is just like, look, obviously the Raptors are, have a weird build, um, but you kind of need <laughs> players to have specific skills to sort of overcome those kind of weird builds. And I think Pascal is actually one of those guys mm-hmm. who, um, you know, again, like probably not the, it's not a super efficient pick and roll player in, in the overall, but he's developed specific skills. For example, what like, you know, as you pointed out, Pascal's very good at, at, you know, scoring and had a very good efficiency when teams went under screens, which is typically what you would think, right? A team doesn't have a lot of shooters. They're running their offense through big wings who are, you know, non-shooters or at least like essentially just okay shooters that again, teams will live with guys taking pull-up jumpers. But in the case of Pascal, he actually had the skill set to beat that kind of coverage. So maybe Pascal takes on all this extra, I mean, maybe not 2000 extra pick and rolls, but maybe 500 extra pick and rolls. Assuming he's still here, by the way. No, that's a good point about Pascal. And I think he could do more, which is crazy because he, was already shouldering the world and then some for the Raptors offense, right? So to say he can do more is kind of unfair for what you're asking from him. But, I mean, he only ran a thousand something pick and rolls, not near the top for forwards. Uh, And he was really good at them, particularly in the areas where other Raptors struggled. So you brought up, you know, him being able to score against unders. uh, And it's because he's just such a talented mover in terms of his footwork and his handle and his body control that if you give him a runway, he's just going to take that space and then Euro or spin or what have you to get to the rim. Uh, You know, kind of like Giannis, where if you just give him too much space, it's a layup, even though they're not like the best shooters. And on top of that, he's actually a very, very good mid-range shooter. Um, And he is similarly fantastic at scoring against switches. Uh, And so... I do think, though, that if you ask Pascal to run maybe 300 or 400 more pick and rolls, that has to come out of the rest of his workload. You can't keep everything else where it is. And so you're looking at maybe 100 fewer post-ups, you know, several hundred fewer isolations, which I think is fine. That might be actually better for the Raptors, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't have Pascal add to his usage rate. I think it has to drop. Now you can readjust that usage rate, you know, add more in in some areas like pick and roll, but you know, Darko, if he is to be the coach next year, of course, (laughs) (laughs) you know, talks a lot about fluidity and, um, you know, adding more dynamism to, to the offense. And I think if you ask Pascal to do too much, you might be sacrificing a lot of the reasons why they hired him as the coach in the first place. Yeah, which which I think completely makes sense. Now, um, okay, what about Scotty, for example? So, uh, first of all, actually, w- how did Scotty do in the pick and roll last year, and um, what what does that say about his potential capacity to take on a bigger workload in this specific regard? Man, it's uh, it's bad. Just it's really bad. Okay, um, Scotty Barnes was one of the worst pick and roll handlers on the Raptors. Um, 
you know, near the bottom of the league. Uh, he just, and, and you even saw it in the games when Fred Van Vliet was out and Scotty Barnes ran point. Toronto's offense was miserable in those games. You you see it in the on-off stats. Um, you see it in the win-loss record. Just Toronto was unable to score with Scotty Barnes running the point guard, just full stop. Um, now it comes down to a number of skills, right? So he's not a great pull-up shooter from three, from mid-range, from anywhere. Um, he doesn't have a super tight handle, so he can't really navigate really busy spaces. Uh, and his, you know, his body movement is a lot more bricky than Pascal Siakam's. Um, so what often happened is when Scotty Barnes was running pick and rolls, you know, he wouldn't even set foot inside the arc. He'd just sort of, you know, take the pick and then give it up. And he is really, really good and talented and dangerous when he's on the move inside the arc with the ball. Mm. And if you ask him to run pick and roll, you're just taking away all of those spaces and decisions that he is excellent at and asking him to do stuff that he's not excellent at. So uh, no wonder that it hurt the Raptors because not only you're asking him to do stuff he's bad at, you're also taking away stuff that he's good at. And he's really good at other stuff. So um, I don't think he should get a ton more pick and roll reps. He probably will just because the Raptors, you know, need to just see what he is, just need to sort of let him get the ball and run and see what happens. I expect it'll be bad, but you have to try, I think. But at the same time, there's a lot more stuff you can do with him, uh, you know, on the weak side, getting more sort of handoffs on the move. Um, there's more creative ways to use Scotty. And last year, I think the Raptors really didn't say anything. They just started games and Scotty was there. To his credit, he was really good at being there and finding ways to help. But I think if they just script him into the offense a lot more, you know, in more creative ways than just run it. I really think they could see a lot of benefits. Right. And and I think that's a bigger discussion, but I think it's also a more interesting one and also um, probably the most important one long-term. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like what, what do, what does that kind of look like if your primary, I, again, this is all assuming that there isn't like a significant leap in Scotty's game, which mm-hmm. potentially could come. Right. And if that happens, this changes the whole discussion because all of a sudden you have more threats to offer give a completely different way that you can attack the defense uh, that, you know, changes it's it, again, this whole discussion. So again, we're just kind of presuming this based on the Scotty that we've seen in the first two seasons with the Raptors. Um, but if, if that is the case, or if they continues sort of like honing the skills that he currently has without necessarily adding some of the other things that you mentioned in terms of, you know, uh, improving the handle or improving the pull-up shooting or even improving sort of the way he's able to move. Um, and navigate some of these, you know, tighter spaces where you can put more pressure on the defense. If that is the case, what are some of these creative ways that you can use to feature Scotty Barnes in a way that both allows you to get more out of Scotty, but also get more in terms of winning results on the court? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, a really specific thing. Bear with me. I mean, it's never <laughs> the most interesting to talk through plays on the radio, but say for example, Pascal runs pick and roll with the shooter, which is when he was at his best. So maybe Gary, Gary. So Trent. the shooter screening. Yeah. That, or is let, it, okay. Let's say OG. OG is screening um, for Pascal. Um, okay. And then he's flaring out to three. Uh, yeah. OG, OG pops, right? So Pascal takes the okay. pick. Yeah. Uh, he drives, he draws two kicks to OG uh, who then will have a closeout from Scotty's guy. Who's on the weak side. Right, that sort mm-hmm. of uh, that stunt, and at that moment, Scotty will be unguarded because he's not a shooter. If he's alone right. on that side, and his defender is the closest to OG out of the pick and pop. Now the Raptors can use that to their advantage, right? So OG could run get at that moment with with Scotty, which is where he basically just throws the ball to Scotty and then sprints at him to get it right back. And if mm-hmm. the defender, Scotty's defender you know, was already in the paint as he should have been as the tagger on the weak side, then you have a two on one handoff right there with Scotty as right. the roller, you know, inside the arc and OG as, you know, a decision maker in sort of a simplified situation. You can do all sorts of creative stuff like that and really get Scotty the ball on the move where his finishing, his passing, decision making, his size, all that stuff is just going to terrorize defenses. But it takes work. Uh, you know, you can't build an offense out of that. Like you're not running 
get actions 80 times a game. That would be stupid. Yeah. But you can run it twice, and they ran it zero times last year. Um, okay. I mean, I'm sure they ran it a couple times, but I, I couldn't find them in my film work. Um, Don't worry, man. Uh, uh, Azeltam has a... Has a- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta take a peek at those 3,000, man. But... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. We've had, we, we now officially have 11 John Doe's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've oh, man, yeah, I've sorry. named myself to this lawsuit a couple times already. But, you know, there, there's other ways... Uh, that aren't so, I mean, you can, it doesn't have to be exactly that, but um, I really think the Raptors prioritized winning above all else last year and they were bad at it anyway. And I think they Mm. need to prioritize more specific stuff. Like how can we get Scotty more involved rather than how can we win this game? They need to just change their focuses. Sure. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because there was a stretch in, December, January, that stretch where after the Raptors had gotten off to a slow start, Fred seemed like he was uncomfortable yeah. in uh, a more off-ball role. The Raptors seemed uncomfortable. Everyone pretty much outside of Pascal was performing below expectation, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe OG, I think, was maybe performing at or above. But realistically, you know, that's that that wasn't necessarily what was important. I mean, like, Pascal was playing fine, and then he got injured. Or playing great, and then he got injured. Came back and played great again. Uh, but... There was that stretch where it was like Fred wasn't necessarily comfortable, and it seemed like Scotty wasn't really involved or taking the next step as sort of the expectations had really doubled or tripled even after his rookie season. Um, and there was sort of like a little bit of a compromise that happened, you know, towards the end of the calendar year where Scotty was playing a lot more as the five. And even though there were a couple of games where it was like, okay, he seemed a little hesitant as to how to attack that. Uh, he seemed to get really, really more comfortable with it. And about over about a span of a month, I would say, he really was playing uh, that role well in terms of as a guy who would catch it on the move um, in the pick-and-roll setting where he would scre- be the screen setter rather than necessarily handling the ball in those scenarios. Uh, and then get downhill against a rotating defense, and he would make an assortment of really good reads or plays where his passing really came into effect. His screening, I thought, was actually quite good as well in terms of sort of how he got his teammates open. Uh, and also, it allowed him to get more of a runway to score as well, played him around more of the basket, so you saw more offensive rebounding. And it never felt like a long-term thing for Scotty in the sense that I didn't think he was going to become a small ball five or anything like that. But at the same time, that is sort of an example of sort of like when the Raptors got a little bit more creative as to how they involved him. And... Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it wasn't going to be anything long-term, and I, I guess that's not his overall ambition in the league is to be a screener. Um, and I think it led to a lot of online debates in terms of just like, okay, we're expecting the star wing player, but he's kind of succeeding as a screener. Um, I don't know. What did you see from that, Lewis? Because I'm, I'm curious, because we're essentially in, in the weeds already. So let's, let's go into those specific weeds. No, man, I... I... Actually, really liked that. You know, him, he, and Gary Trent were phenomenal together in that stretch. Uh, and I mean, the Pacers started it with Miles Turner, I think, and they went away from it after a quarter or so because the Raptors were killing him in that quarter. They, they cooked yep. him yep. when they defended Scotty that way, and Scotty only scored like one point on free throws, I think. But he just mm-hmm. absolutely cooked them. I think in general, LeBron James has broken our brains. Uh, don't worry, I'll bring this around. Where, okay. where he he makes us think that all... I mean, I agree with you, but uh, <laughs> for, purely from a Lebronto standpoint, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he makes us think that all-star forwards, all-star wings need to also be a point guard. And they just... That's not... Not a lot of guys are great at point guards. You know, uh, Jalen, Jalen Brown, for example, is the highest paid player in the NBA right now. Uh, not the best at running pick and rolls as like a star wing. Uh, and I think there's just, you can be really, really good and not also be a point guard. And I think Scotty Barnes has a lot of ways to be excellent. Um, and maybe it won't be the same path as LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and guys who sort of are these huge dominant wings who also can, you know, take over running an offense in the fourth quarter. I don't know if that's going to be how he becomes great, but that stretch you mentioned, a lot of people were, you know, criticizing Scotty for sort of being passive and, and passing and sort of fading into this screening role, but the Raptors were phenomenal 
at that at those times and teams had to stop doing that because Scotty was so good. So like what do you want yeah. out of your star? Do you want him to be a guy that you know is on ESPN highlights or do you want him to be a guy that forces defenses to change because they're just crushing them? And I think Scotty is really going to be polarizing for a long time because he may not have the former but still have the latter. Yeah. And I mean, look, for me personally, like I, I just want to see the team win and be successful or play in a way that gives them the best chances of winning. And that's not to say that I want to pigeonhole him specifically in that role forever, but it did seem like, okay, there was some real success there. And the Raptors intentionally moved away from that. Like they actually brought in Jacoperto at the trade deadline, which directly blocks that from being one of the primary ways you would feature him. And look, I think maybe long term, like this is more of a compromise than well, it's definitely more of a compromise than again what the best case scenario would be, which is to have Scotty turn into sort of like LeBron type of playmaker and things like that. But again, like this is all contingent on okay, if that if you we want that to be the case or that the the, the direction, the skill set has to expand, or lots of investment has to be put into the skill set to expand to the point where. You can change because, again, you, you don't just play necessarily the role that you dictate for yourself offensively. You A large part of basketball is you play the role dictated to you based on what the defense is saying mm-hmm. to you. You know what I mean? Like you don't just mm-hmm. get to choose how you, you, you play in, in, in that regard. So, again, there would have to be some pretty big skill development. I think that would have to take place. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, whether that's on-court skill development in terms of just like um, in games and you know going through uh, ups and downs that comes with that, or if it's off the court in the sense that it's done in a practice setting, it's done in during the season, it's during in film sessions, it's during done skill work in the off season, all that kind of stuff that isn't necessarily seen, we, we'll never know. Um, but yeah, that's that to me is a limiting factor is sort of the skill aspect. Now, I mean, I mean, maybe this is another question in terms of with Darko's offense, but. Um, do they have to play pick and roll, Lewis? Like, I mean, like, realistically, it's not the only play. Um, is it conceivable to you, Lewis, that if the Raptors suck so much at pick and roll in general, and just based on the numbers last year, they've actually gone downwards in terms of the pick and roll playmaking talent, maybe they just don't run pick and rolls? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So uh, last year, um, on average, there are about 80 half-court possessions in a game. And on average, teams ran about 70 half-court pick-and-rolls. So, okay. yeah, it's All a right. lot. The gotcha. The fewest yeah. pick-and-rolls in the game last year were the Sacramento Kings at just over 50 uh, per mm-hmm. 100 possessions. So, I mean, or per game. So you're looking at, like, this is just homogeneity in the league. Like, this is what offense is. Um, yep. If the Raptors run 20 pick-and-rolls and figure out another way to run offense... That would be cool as hell, man. I would love Very. that. Uh, I, I, It's hard to even envision, right? That, that's the type of creativity that gets you in the NBA to begin with. Um, mm. But I think broadly, that's the type of question that will animate this season. And a couple of the other ones, right? We are not going to be looking at the Raptors having three players or two players, three players in the top 20 of minutes played per game. That that was insane. If if Darko does that this year, things will have gone so far off the rails. This is going to be a very different focus this year. And whether that means how do we run an offense based, you know, on different strengths, fewer pick and rolls, awesome. Whether that means how does Scotty Barnes run more pick and rolls some games, how does he run none, others, like what is that in-game development you were talking about awesome i want to see that you know how does pascal not get exhausted by the end of the season awesome i want to see that there's a lot of questions that we haven't had answered for the past two years and i think this season if it's going to be successful in any way beyond you know playoffs or or championship because i don't think that's a reasonable goal it the goal should be to answer those questions Mm. okay I mean, I guess maybe to a consumer who just wants to see the Raptors be competitive or to see a winning product on the floor when they're spending two and a half hours every other night 
for four months uh maybe that's not as exciting but at the same yeah. time like I, I do think that that's the important work that needs to be done so i agree with you maybe the the thing that you need to do is not necessarily the most exciting thing um yeah i mean look this this might just be why the raptors last year under nick was kind of just like look our offense is to not play necessarily structured offense it was to create as much chaos as possible like that's kind of what happened for two straight seasons with the Raptors. Like, you know, and, and, you know, Nick Nurse was all about getting steals, but it, it seems like Darko might be even more into stealing. Sorry. I'm just, I, I had to put that in there. <laughs> Look, but the Raptors had a national TV game where they scored one point in almost eight minutes of NBA basketball. Bro, they that was stole... one of my favorite games ever. That was, yeah. man. If you want, like, as far as consumers enjoying this team, last year was not a fun year. Like, it will be hard for this year to be less fun than last year. Last year was miserable to watch. The vibes were bad. The team was Who wants to watch a team jack up misses and chase offensive rebounds every possession? Mm. That is not fun basketball. I mean, they stole our time on top of (laughs) 3,000 clips. They just so don't be worried about not enjoying the, the the product because we've already been through hell and back. How how many clips of those three thousand stolen clips were just offensive rebounds? <laughs> I mean, uh, two thousand nine hundred ninety eight. How many how many shots did they have last year? How many offensive rebounds? We can really do the math here. Uh, um, no, it was bad. Yeah, it was what? bad, man. The Raptors innovated yeah. backwards last year. They started based on. Their entire offense was built on, we're probably going to miss, so what should happen next? Yeah, it, w- it was a kind of a surrender strategy, which, I mean, like, listen, I- I'm not saying that, like, we had all the offensive talent in the world and it was misused. Like, that's ridiculous of anyone to say about the Raptors. But at the same time, it was it was kind of odd that we went into every game just assuming that uh, we're not, we're not going to be good at it. The Toronto Raptors last year, by the way, were uh, second in the league at total offensive rebounds uh, as a team. 1,043, so I, I just, Jeez. yeah, I mean, look, so it's, it's, it's a lot, you know how but the Knicks, by the way, the Knicks, by the way, third in the league at uh, 1,031, so, yeah, the Knicks also the, uh, pioneered the everyone's mm-hmm. a power forward strategy before the Raptors, they, we've been stealing their secrets for a while, well, but, we kind uh, of got the Julius Randle, the jab, 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 step, jab, step, uh, bad fading three that somehow banks in uh, play, is, oh, is that, is that, that was a frustrating doing? game, but, but, uh, <laughs> the, the idea of, a losing strategy or a surrender strategy. I mean, it, they still had fans, right? Like, how many sellouts did you do? You look at the the sheet they give us at every game where they say the attendance. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I would say that I, I think like they had the streak broken in terms of just like complete yeah. sold out, sellouts, but like, or it's like, I would say 99% of seats yeah. were sold during the course of the season. However, when you and I were at obviously lots of games, just covering the team, I would not say that 99% of seats were filled every single game. They yeah. might've been sold, but they were not filled. It cannot be less appealing than last year. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I, I hope to see a lot of experimentation. I hope to see like, you know, lots of creativity and ingenuity. Like that's that's essentially what you would need to see from Darko to make this half court offense great. I mean, look, full court offense, they're they're good. They're 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 very good actually. And in fact, they generate a lot of their own opportunities just as a virtue of how they built the roster. But you can maximize the twenty percent. You can maximize essentially the margins. Like essentially, off NBA offense, I would say probably generally breaks down like eighty percent half court, twenty percent full court, roughly, maybe even twenty five seventy five. But mm-hmm. You can maximize the margins, and the Raptors did do that, but ultimately, like, the bulk of it has to, the core product has to improve. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe Gary, is is Gary, the, is, is the hope here? Can we, can we, can we teach Gary how to pass the basketball? I mean, he'll do more for sure. And, right? Okay. That's, that's another of those questions the Raptors are going to look to ask. I, I imagine he'll run, you know, a few hundred more pick and rolls as well. Um, Okay. Yeah, we'll see how they go. Well, I mean, again, like this, this could be a, this is a classic case where a player definitely has one specific role, like in terms of like assist rates, for example, in terms of just yeah, like even just how much a player passes. I think like in terms of at his position, it was like him and Terrence Ross. I think were like the bottom two in the league the last mm-hmm. time I looked in terms of 
shooting guards, especially in that specific role of shooting guard, which is specific catch and shoot, um, just having the fewest assists. But at the same time, if you expand his role, can you also see, I guess, the results expand in accordance to those roles? Because, I mean, I don't know. It, it'd, be, it'd be new, but I think it would take Gary's game to a whole new level, which is another piece on Raptors public, by the way, right now. So you can read that too. There was a media day. I think it was 2021, 22, uh, where someone asked Gary, you know, what skills do you want to add to your game this year? And he listed like seven different scoring skills. He was like, I want to work on my shot Mm -hmm. and my footwork and my handle and my finishing and my floater. It was crazy. Uh, Mm. I think, and this is speculation. This is not reporting. But I think him testing free agency this summer, um, after he improved a lot at finishing around the rim, which was his greatest, you know, offensive scoring weakness, um, and not getting a new contract, coming back to Toronto on his player option that it seemed like he wouldn't take, really indicated, look, you gotta become a better passer. And so mm-hmm. if someone asked him that question this media day, I imagine he has, if he's being honest, um, a, a different answer. And so We'll find out, but I, his focus, you know, based on the monetary feedback, has to be different. Yeah, and I, again, I don't see why he couldn't do more of it, or even just become more of a balanced player. Because, you know, in terms of like the skill sets, in terms of what you would ideally like to have in the pick and roll. Okay, so a couple of things he doesn't necessarily have, like he's not a shifty handler, he's not necessarily going to burst downhill, but at least he has one of the most important threats of running pick and roll, which is being able to pull up shoot, mm-hmm. both from the mid-range and from three. And even the numbers from three were bad last year. I would say if you're playing drop coverage against Gary and, you know, Yak sets a firm screen for him and wipes out the on-ball defender, I trust and I'm happy with Gary taking that shot. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, maybe on the I – think, I think you pointed out his pull-up three-point shooting was only like 29%. But I'm happy with those kind of looks. I can live with those kind of looks knowing what kind of shooter he is. And so if that's the case, you know, maybe teams change up their defense a little bit. And again, that's where Gary has the opportunity to shoot or pass it a little bit more. But mm-hmm. even in that description there, I've uh, made the Freudian slip of saying he was going <laughs> to shoot more. So Much like Gary himself will. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll find well, out, though. I mean, I, th- I think you're right, though. He, he at least will create the advantages. You know, what happens then is up to him. But at least he can create the advantages in a way that other guys can't. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, well... Lewis, this was a this this is a nerdy discussion. It started off as sort of like a super nerdy, like in terms of like lawyer speak and stuff like that, and you know, then we got into more basketball, and then we got more nerdy again. But um, I, I'm happy we went on this journey together, man. You want a nerdy lawyer speak? I perjured myself so many times this hour. You really have, yeah. It this yeah, is this is energy login after this. Yeah. I need better legal advice, man. Yeah, look, listen, I, I look, I mean, we made some jokes about this and some of that is informed by the fact that, you know, like we have looked into this or, you know, I've, I've read through the, the, the lawsuit. And again, maybe it's my ignorance on this or maybe the Knicks just didn't put in the lawsuit, but maybe there's something much more serious and nefarious going on. And if so, at minimum, I would say just to wrap up and going back full circle on this, it's like it's this is a bad look on the Raptors. Like at minimum, this is just sloppiness. If yeah. it's sloppiness and it's a slap on the hand and you got to pay a fine and you don't have to hire this one assistant coach. Cool. I think that's probably the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is uh, like Darko is actually directly involved in trying actively, and there's some proof tying him to him actively knowing that it's prepared information and actively wanting to take that from a different organization that is theft and that probably would lead to some sort of termination. I don't think there's anything in the lawsuit that specifically t- says that. And so to me, I'm, I'm thinking that that's not a likely case. It, the bottom line is, th- this is sloppy, and it, it's kind of a, you know, it's not necessarily a good look for the Raptors. At, at, at best, it's like you, you make some jokes and you pay a fine. But, yeah, I mean, I mean I don't know. We could we could have done better. Like, again, like, I, I would have loved to see one positive headline about the Raptors all, all season, you know, or all offseason, at least, you know. And I don't know about you, Lewis, but I haven't necessarily seen it. I just, Grady Dick's got to wear that shirt every day. That's the only, that's the most exciting yeah. thing that's happened. The most exciting thing is Grady Dick went to Caravana, which uh, was awesome. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. That's good vibes yeah. right there. Yeah. But even that was slightly ruined when he fell victim to social media, at least in 2023. So There's uh, so much self-perjuring going on. There's there's a lot of self... You know, it's a good way to put it. All right. Well, Lewis, uh, can we sign off with anything? Are you excited about Team Canada? Can we... Uh, yeah, man. I'll give you a quick one minute on that if you want. 
Team Canada, uh, every year, er, not every year, every cycle, they, they pull you back in. I'm ready to, to love again when it comes to Team Canada. Uh, I'm not a fan of a ton of NBA teams. It's just, you know, it's so much work. You sort of lose your fandom. But I'm still a fan of Team Canada, and I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I mean, if, I think, honestly, sometimes I step back and I'm just like, you know, I really appreciate that, like, these players are willingly taking time out of their summers, yeah. uh, away from their family, and probably not for much actual pay or reward to, like, compete at this level and when you watch even the warm-up games they were not easy warm-up games they were very physical they were very hotly contested um there's a lot of emotional energy and output into it whatever like obviously they love basketball they love representing but like i don't know some at some points i I do watch that game and i'm like all right this is sort of how i would sort of typically look at it as an analyst and this is a basketball team and here's some strengths and weaknesses of sort of what i'm seeing but also at the same, at the back of my mind, I'm just like, yeah, these guys really just sacrifice and are doing this willingly and doing this out of like some sort of patriotic pride or some sort of like attachment to each other or ultimately just, you know, some sort of like way that they want to positively get back to basketball in Canada in general. And then I was like, you know what? This is just all cool. Like all, I'm not looking at all of this as gravy because I think there's real stakes in the line, but you know, I, I do appreciate how much they put into this. So I, I will be rooting for them wholeheartedly. Amen, and, brother. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, the way they played against Germany, the fact that they beat Germany, the fact that Germany also gave a real scare to the Team USA, like, yeah, that's it's promising to me, man. And and the team is really good as compared to previous times that we've had Team Canada too. So I know we're kind of expecting the most, and we're promised everything, and maybe that's sort of why our expectations are so high. But it's objectively the best team that we put together in my entire memory of being a Team Canada fan. And yeah, if they can beat France on Friday. I don't know, man. Expectations are really, really going to start to climb. So it's wildly cool that Shea Gilgis Alexander is a Canadian, uh, and also I think that you know some some threads like the Scrub Brothers uh, remain mm-hmm. on the team as well from so many years without the NBA guys suiting up. It's just it's a very lovable team. Uh, honestly, never thought I'd see a team this good in my lifetime for Team Canada. It's really, really exciting. Yeah, and honestly, like just based on the amount of talent coming in, like we kind of should get used to this being the new normal. Yeah. Um, now, of course, qualifying for things is really difficult. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, like all you can really ask for is you have your best guys and giving your best shot. And um, we don't have all our best guys, but we have a lot of our best guys, and they're giving their best shot right now. And I'm excited to see them. So, Lewis, thanks for joining me on the program. Uh, you can follow Lewis on Twitter. Is is that where would you like to be followed, uh, Lewis? If if you like to be followed at all? Yeah, no, no. I'm 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 done with being followed. I just want to write my oh, okay. my sports pieces. Now nah, you can find me at Twitter. Um, I basically just post sports stuff. Uh, mm. Yeah, man. Uh, Twitter Raptors Republic. Write for the Milwaukee Bucks. Just NBA.com as well. That's where you can find my work. There you go. All right, so. Make sure you do all that. Make sure you get the subscription to Raptors Republic. Again, like you're not going to find better content, like actual analysis and like meaningful breakdown and like things that people are really put into this, uh, other than Raptors Republic, like online. And it's a small amount of money that you would have to pay. I'm sure it's not next to to everybody, just based on what the situations are. But if you're a Raptor fan with some means, like it's well worth it. And, uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. That is free, by the way. So, you know, you can uh, always rate, review, subscribe. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated on sort of how this lawsuit goes. <laughs>